Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Here you go. Here you go. Witness. Nothing personal word of the day for this Monday, February 10th. And I don't mean Harrison Ford. I'm not talking Kelly McGillis. I'm talking Jehovah. Jehovah's Witness, as in Darren Collison, former basketball player who's earned $43 million in his career. He chose to not sign with the Lakers or the Clippers because he wanted to keep spreading the word, keeping the faith, spreading the faith. Whatever words he used, he wants to knock on doors. I think it's like Book of Mormon. My point is this, Darren, you could make another $10 million. All you have to do is play half a season and you could donate all of it to Jehovah's Witness. You could be the greatest donor in the history of the movement. Why wouldn't you play? The top two seeds in the Western Conference want you. You have an opportunity to guarantee yourself a spot in the conference championships, maybe even in the NBA Finals, and have $10 million all to give to Jehovah? I would do that if I could be a witness. I'm tired of Mookie Betts' trade. I'm so tired of it that I'm only going to spend 12 minutes discussing it because more layers keep happening And I've seen it before as an executive, but for whatever reason, it's getting a ton of attention right now. So I want to explain to you and everyone out there, if you're watching on CBS Sports HQ, if you're downloading and listening to Nothing Personal, let me tell you, number one, Mookie Betts is a Boston Red Sox player. Let's start with that. Number two, David Price is not a Los Angeles Dodger. Number three. Artie Moreno is in the corner having a hissy fit. We'll talk about it. Number four, Tony Clark, the head of the union, has a belief that this trade should have been completed already and made that belief public in a statement and subsequent tweet. We'll talk about it. Justin Turner, player for the Dodgers, got himself involved in a social media back and forth over the most outrageous tweet I've read in the last 17 minutes. And the back and forth is fabulous. So now, let's do one thing first. Let me think. Okay, let me tell you how a trade becomes official, please. There is a roster in baseball. You may think it's a 26-man roster. You may think it was a 25-man roster. It's about to be a 26-man roster this coming season. But from an executive standpoint, it's called a 40-man roster. There are 40 spots that you can hold a player, and that player is yours. 
If you've got 41 people who you want on your roster, guess what? You have to get rid of one of them. In order to do that, you have three ways you can do it. One, you can designate that player for assignment. We read about that a lot in baseball, which means you're going to trade him, release him, or put him through waivers. Two, you can not designate him for assignment and just outright him, which is when you send him to the minor leagues. Or you can just release him outright, but you have to do something that actively takes a name off the roster. How does MLB keep track? It's not the honor system. There is a computer program where transactions get entered. And until those transactions get entered and then approved, and then the contracts of each player get assigned to his new team, that's when a trade becomes official. Mookie Betts has a one-year, $27 million contract with the Boston Red Sox. It's in the system, in the computers at MLB. He is under the Red Sox roster, and his contract is with the Red Sox. When this deal becomes official, his contract currently with the Red Sox will be assigned to the Dodgers. It'll now be a contract between Mookie Betts and the Dodgers. Once your contract has been assigned, you go on to the roster of your new team. Here's the problem with the computer program. If you already have 40 names in 40 slots under your roster, you can't take on another player without getting rid of a player. The Dodgers want to take on David Price. They want to take on Mookie Betts, and they want to take on the pitcher for the Minnesota Twins, whose name has been mispronounced at every level. So I'm just saying the pitcher for the Twins who throws 100, whose arm, shoulder, elbow, all at one point or another, has, will fall off, causing the entire trade to become in disarray when he failed the physical and did not go to the Boston Red Sox. All of this is going on right now, and you're wondering to yourself as a fan of the Dodgers, we're going to start with you. Do you have Mookie Betts leading off when spring training starts? Yes. Do you have David Price in the three-hole after Bueller and Clayton Kershaw when the season starts? Yes. Will the Red Sox be under the luxury tax threshold once it starts counting, which is once the official payroll is set, which starts payments don't start during spring training, by the way. They start first of the regular season. The answer is yes. Does all the negativity that you have given as Boston fans to the owners in Boston, the anger, the hatred, has that in any way delayed this trade from happening? No. There are people speculating right now that from a PR standpoint, you finally did it. You stood up as a fan and you went, you beat your chest. I don't have a mic here. I can do this. You beat your chest and everybody was paying attention in the Boston Red Sox front office. And Chaim Bloom said to John Henry, the owner, you know, we're not getting very positive press about this trade for Mookie Betts. I think we ought to reconsider it. And I know just the way. All we have to do is fail the physical of one of the players. And then the whole trade can go away. No, that's not what happened. No question that your negativity, sort of vitriol, had nothing to do with anything. I want you to keep doing it. It keeps you engaged. You're not apathetic. I appreciate it. But the front office completely ignores it. The delay in this trade is legitimately because the Red Sox did not want the Twins pitcher. 
Would it not be awesome to have the greatest producer in your ear saying the exact way that I should be saying the last name of the Twins pitcher, given that we are right now on HQ and we're being listened to, and still, I don't have it. God, I love you, Coca. I really do. So, why would the Red Sox then renegotiate the trade with the Los Angeles Dodgers? Because when it, when you fail a player and the Red Sox call the Dodgers, this is how it went. They didn't call the Twins. Remember, the Red Sox were dealing with the Dodgers. They called the Dodgers and said, I don't want this player from the Twins. I don't like his medical. The Dodgers say, well, I don't know what you want me to do about it. That's a, that's a player, right? You have, you're getting him. And the Red Sox said, well, no, because we have the ability to either stop the trade or we're going to sort of retool it. Let's start again. The reason why there was a delay between when the deal was leaked and when the deal was then leaked again is that the first leak never should have happened. The second leak is the one of the trade that will actually end up being approved and end up happening with Jeter Downs and a backup catcher, a 40-man roster catcher, ending up going to the Red Sox along with Alex Verdugo. It doesn't change any of the facts that the real problem that the union had with this trade, the real problem that the players are having with this trade is their belief that because we live in this social media world, because we live where there are people trying to get a story first, we talked about it with Kobe Bryant. Is it important to get a story right or is it important to get it first? These writers and these insiders have sources within the teams. I talked about this this weekend. The greatest source of all for a writer or insider to have is in the training room. Because the trainer is the first person who gets called when there is a trade being contemplated because it's always pending a physical. And the trainer of your team is the one who does all the work with the other team's trainer who gets all the records, medical records, and shares those medical records with your own team doctor. The second person who's great to have in your corner if you're in the media is the clubhouse, people in the clubhouse. Because the clubhouse gets called by the front office to say, hey, we're bringing in number 27. We're going to need locker number 14 and get ready to have a uniform that says number 27. Or by the way, during the season when a player move is made, the clubby is the second person to know after the owner. The clubby knows about the player move before the player because they're getting his stuff packed up. The traveling secretary knows because they're getting people from one place to the other. My point is there are leaks and there are sources everywhere. And to complain about that is so disingenuous. Tony Clark, the head of the union, do you know why Tony Clark lost the last round of collective bargaining and why the players are so unhappy? Because he is so uber-focused on the wrong stuff. He's, so, he's a former player. He's interested in what the creature comforts of players they would trade days off for major economic, major economic points. They would trade a chef in the kitchen for a major economic point. It's insanity. Wait a minute. You want better food in the clubhouse and you'll let us do the following to the luxury tax threshold? Let's pretend we don't want to do it. Let's play cool. Tony, we're going to have to think about that. All right, fine. We will get better chefs in the clubhouse. It's a joke. Guess what? Tony, you're at it again. The proposed trades between the Dodgers, Red Sox, Twins, and Angels need to be resolved without further delay. 
Why? The events of the last week have unfairly put several players' lives in a state of limbo. I I read that wrong. Sorry. The events of this last week have unfairly put several players' lives in a state of limbo. The unethical leaking of medical information as well as the perversion of the salary arbitration process. By the way, I know perversion, and that's not perverted. Serve as continued reminders that too often players are treated as commodities by those running the game. I took that personally. I don't treat players as commodities. They are commodities. I treat them with kit gloves. I love them. I talk to them. I communicate with them. We're all commodities. Do you think in your current job, in your current office, that you're not a commodity? Do you think in your current house, the relationship you have with significant others, kids, friends, we're all commodities? That's not an insult. Perversion of the salary arbitration process because poor Jock Peterson didn't know whether he'd make 7.7 or 9.5 million. That's perverted. He didn't know whether he was going to be an angel or a dodger. That's limbo. It's not perverted or limbo. Do you know that every player goes to the ballpark every day? Not sure if that's the day they're going to get called into the manager's office and traded, released, or sent to the minor leagues. I don't care if you're a reigning MVP. I'll trade you. I don't care if you're a journeyman. Release you. I don't care if you're making money. Yeah, if you're making money, I'll probably keep you and wait till you're really, really bad. Tony Clark's statement is laughed at by the commissioner's office. Literally laughed at. I've seen it. I've read it. But here's how Tony Clark got elected. Players like Justin Turner. For whatever reason, Justin Turner decided that he was going to get himself involved in this. There's a former Met. And if if you're a Met fan, you know this player. If you're not a Met fan, you don't. Josh Satan, Satin, Satan, Satin. Trades should not be allowed to be rescinded after they have been reported. Obviously, Boston wants to get out after everyone's talking about how the Dodgers fleece them. There is a former Major League player who got a cup of coffee, said the trades should not be allowed to be rescinded after they've been reported. All right, I am David Sampson on CBS Sports HQ. I'm an MLB analyst, the host of Nothing Personal with David Sampson. I am currently reporting that Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and Garrett Cole have been traded to the Cincinnati Reds for the ball boy. That's my report. I don't mean to put you in limbo, Giancarlo or Aaron or Garrett. I don't want you in limbo. I don't want any sort of perversion of anything, but you're now a Cincinnati Red. Justin Turner reads the tweet and says, here's a concept. Let trades happen and then report on them. All these reporters only care about is being first. Meanwhile, players and their families are emotional wrecks, not knowing if they are or aren't being traded from the only org they've known. No one cares who is first. Spoken like a guy who makes money playing with balls. If you make money with your pen and ink or your fingers, it does matter if you're first. That's how you get clicks. That's how you get followers. That's how you get paid money. So he's wrong there. Number two, 
all these reporters only care about is being first? Let them happen before reporting on them? Do you know where writers get trade ideas from? Do you know how it happens? It gets told to them. They don't make it out of thin air the way I just made up the Cincinnati Reds trade, which under the theory of the tweet that you were re-quoting or quoting and retweeting would have signaled the end of a trade or the start of a trade. It's preposterous. Tony Clark, I have a suggestion for you. Take this opportunity. Take one opportunity right now. Go to your players and explain to them that during this round of collective bargaining, you are going to focus on economics. You are going to focus on things that matter from the standpoint of the player's wallet, not the player's comfort or making sure the players are happy every day because they know exactly where they're going to be and don't have to be in state of limbo while eating great food in the clubhouse and flying charter. Okay, Uh, Artie Moreno is uh, sitting in a corner right now, and he is incredibly upset. He had an idea that uh, he was getting Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling. He thought that Jock Peterson would fit nicely into his outfield with Justin Upton and into into uh, uh, with Anthony Rendon on the infield. They didn't add much pitching. Andrew Heaney, Shohei Otani headline, headlining their rotation, bringing in Ross Stripling, taking on $10 million, let's say. Critical for the Dodgers to get below the luxury tax threshold. Critical for the Dodgers to get two people off their 40-man roster for the reason we talked about seven minutes ago. And now the Angels have apparently pulled out of the deal. And the excuse that we're hearing is that Artie Moreno had a snit, was in a snit, had a snit. I think it's more an adverb. I think he had a snit. And here's how Artie Moreno manifests his snit. He calls up his GM, Billy Epler, and he says, Hey, Billy, why don't we have Jock Peterson yet? I know we were waiting for the arbitration so the Dodgers could do it, and we won the arbitration. Doesn't it make sense that he's now an angel? Artie Moreno's involved, but his involvement was approving taking on the money. But then it didn't happen because the Dodgers part of the deal with the Red Sox didn't happen. And the Dodgers weren't going to move Peterson until they knew they had bets. So the Dodgers said to the Angels, here's how the call goes. Hey, Billy, it's Andrew. We're not official yet. The Red Sox are being in Chaim. And I know Chaim. We work together in Tampa. We're buddies. God, is he being a pain in the neck? We can't get anybody past. We got Gratterall, who's failing his physical. We'll take Gratterall is what Andrew is saying to Billy Epler. Dodgers, Angels, we're happy to take Gratterall because we think his arm is going to fall off too. But in the meantime, let him throw pitches for us and pitch 100 miles an hour. Billy Epler says to Andrew Friedman, I want this deal. I'm ready to do a deal. We have an agreement. I've got permission from my owner. We're done. Let's go. Artie Moreno calls Billy Epler and says, Ma, Ma, what's happening? That's what in Hebrew? Ma. I'm not sure Artie Moreno said that. He probably just said, what? Why? Let's go. So now Billy Epler has to come out and actually give a comment on a trade that he was supposed to have done already. This is amazing. It's like these are made for nothing personal. Billy Epler, there are a lot of components and deals that need to be satisfied before you get to a point where you are calling players and informing them. 
We weren't able to get to that point. And in fairness to our players and players with other organizations, we won't comment further than that. (laughs) So here at HQ, we work. There's so many great people. There are people who are doing graphics. There's technical directors and directors and producers and PAs. And I had a producer who's my guy, Matthew Coca, come and give me this with his chicken scratch, Angels GM on Jock Trade. And I got to read the quote. And it just happened now while we're filming and while we're recording the podcast. Billy Epler, here's the better quote. Take the microphone and say the following. We had a trade in place where we were trading for Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling. We absolutely assumed that trade was happening and it had nothing to do in our minds with arbitration or with the result of what Jock Peterson's arbitration would be. We also were under the impression that even if the Dodgers, Twins, Red Sox three-way trade fell apart, we believed that this trade was still going to happen. Now that the trade may become official, we are here and ready to make that trade. Do we understand there is a level of discomfort when players don't know? Are they coming or are they going? We do, but that's part of the game. I assure you that we'll be in touch with our players so they will know exactly where, when, and how to report. And when they walk into their clubhouse, whether it's a new one or an old one, there'll be a jersey hanging and their name will be spelled right. Instead, Billy Epler was forced to give a quote like this, which does nothing but make fans like you, Angels fans, say this is who we have running our organization Is this how insane our owner is that he's making our GM do this? And by the way, are the Dodgers going to finally get off their tuchus and get this trade made official? They're all waiting for each other. I have an idea. I'm going to bring in a peacemaker, someone who may not have a lot of experience getting peace from a group of people who never get peace. I'm sending them in. We're meeting with all three teams. It's all going to work out. Wait to see. All right, the Houston Astros, this just keeps getting better. I'm going baseball. You thought I was going Oscars. We are doing a full Oscar recap on this show. Don't you worry. Because I'm, I was still watching the parties as recently as this morning. I mean, it's sort of an all-night thing, right, when you watch the Oscars. It ends at 8.30 or 9, their time on the West Coast. So on the East Coast, we're tired, but we're pushing through to live vicariously through people at the variety party, etc., But we got to talk Astros because two things happened this weekend uh, and one thing happened today. And I want you to be informed. I want you to have an understanding of some of the insane things that take place. And I'm going to start at the end with what happened today. Uh, And I'm going to explain why it happened and then explain to you why it's 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 literally to me as I think about it and read about it. It is a sad commentary on a profession that I care deeply about. I love being a lawyer. I loved law school. I loved my professors. I never practiced law. I went right into business, but I use my law degree every day. Well, a lawsuit was filed today on behalf of a player, get ready, Mike Bolzinger. Have you ever heard of Mike Bolzinger? No? Anybody? Has anybody heard of Mike Bolzinger? Nobody. We, I work in a room full of sports nuts who literally would rather read about the lacrosse league than read Little Women by Louisa May Alcott, right? And they have never heard of this guy. He's a former pitcher who happened to pitch for the Toronto Blue Jays against the Houston Astros in 2017. 
He threw 29 pitches in one inning. It's been reported that there was a bang on a trash can on 12 or 18 of his pitches. Doesn't matter. He then got sent down after that outing of getting rocked. He is now suing the Astros. Can you imagine? There is a lawyer out there giving my profession a bad name. You took this lawsuit, this frivolous, ridiculous lawsuit, where he is claiming that the Astros cheating is what stopped him from having a better, longer, more profitable MLB career. Hey, Mike, do you know what stopped you from having a longer career? You stunk. That's it. You think one bad outing stops your career and that 30 teams in the U.S., all of Japan, as a matter of fact, the whole continent of Australasia said, wait a minute, he had a bad outing in 2017. Ah, we're never going to sign him again. No chance. Give me a break. You know who makes emotional decisions based on bad outings? Owners. You know who gets overruled 99% of the time after a bad one outing by a player? Those same owners. If you're a president of baseball operations or the president of a team, you don't take one outing and make a career decision. Everybody gets roughed up. Cy Young Award winners have starts where they get roughed up. You're now filing a lawsuit that the, by the way, for $31 million. Now I know you're going to say I'm being misleading to you. It's my show. I can be misleading. It's our show. Sorry, Matthew. It's our show. Here's where it's misleading. He wants to take the $31 million and give it to charity. Bless his soul. You are, why don't you start, actually, he may be working with Darren Collison, knocking on doors, ringing doorbells. Hello, my name is Elder David, and I am here to at, ding dong. Yeah, whatever, that's Book of Mormon. Anyway. What I'm trying to explain to you is that he wants to win $31 million, which is the amount of the playoff shares that the the Astros split. That was a Freudian slip. That the Astros split in 2017. He wants all that money refunded so the players who got 400 grand have to write a check for 400 grand. Put it all together, give it to Mike Bolsinger, and then he's going to distribute it to charities. Okay. Here's the likelihood of this lawsuit surviving a summary judgment motion to dismiss. It's as likely as me dunking on a 10-foot hoop. You're right. I could put springs on. I could stand on the shoulders of Rip Hamilton. I could channel my inner Raja Bell. All those things are possible. Don't hold your breath. Using the Astros to file a lawsuit and finding a lawyer to do it. Spend your time reading the Wall Street Journal. That's way more important. The Wall Street Journal did an entire report by a really good writer named Jared Diamond. That's not a random shout out for Jared. He's good at what he does. He wrote an article where he outlined how the Astros sign stealing scandal was born. And in the article, it comes up that it was born through the work of an intern I have been waiting for Monday. I'm so happy it's nothing personal again. By the way, please download, which you have. Rate it like you can give five stars to things on Apple. Review it. And in the review, make sure you ask a question. Make sure you, uh, I'll do a bonus show. I did a bonus show at the end of January. I answered your questions. 
I'll do another one at the end of this month, February. So go on there, review, put whatever question you want. Just make sure it's a subject that will last till the end of the month. Don't ask me to comment on the snowstorm currently moving east from the Plain States, right? That's probably not going to make the show. So in the Wall Street Journal, intern, big story, breaking news, code breakers, Dark arts. Those were words that were used by internal documents that MLB actually found out about. Jeff Lunau is the president of baseball ops of the Houston Astros. He got suspended for a year by Rob Manford. Then he got fired by Jim Crane, the owner. And the day he got fired, he released a statement. The statement, as we detailed on a previous episode of Nothing Personal, was in my career, the worst statement by an MLB executive I'd ever seen. The most self-centered, pompous statement without feel from someone who has no feel. And I'm not being personal. This is business. He had a perfect chance to have a perfect statement. And boy, he didn't do it. He said specifically in his statement, I had no idea anything was going on. We now know that there is proof he knew exactly what was going on. He got an email from an intern that went through exactly what was happening, how they were using algorithms to steal signs. So Jeffrey Liu now goes public again and says, oh, wait a minute. Oh my God, I totally misunderstood. I thought you were using this algorithm to look at previous games to study signs. I didn't think you were doing it currently while a game is going on. No. (laughs) Oh my God, that intern would be fired. If he would go to his GM and say, hey, I wrote an algorithm that's really going to help us for the games we've already won or lost, but don't ask me about helping us in today's game. I didn't write that part of the code. Come on, Jeff. And then Jeff Luna said, by the way, I did get those emails, but I must tell you, I didn't read them all the way through. In law school, there's an example of this, and it's called an alternate plea. Here's how it works. If you get accused, let's say you're accused, let's not even go to murder. Let's say you're accused of burglary. You steal a computer from a store. Here's what you do. Number one, I was not ever in that store. Number two, if I were to have been in that store, I didn't steal the computer. Wait a minute, can both those, uh, that's impossible. Either you're in the store or you're not in the store. Have you been in the store? Have you not been in the store? Jeffrey Lunhouse said, I had no idea anything was going on. But if I had gotten information about something going on, I didn't fully read it. It's infuriating. Who's helping him? He made a lot of money. How does he not have advisors who say to him, hey, Jeff, there's some articles coming out. You may want to respond slightly differently than what you're doing. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400 or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425 right now. 
And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quite in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. But he's not. Okay. I am, uh, I'm going right to uh, Oscars right now. Uh, and here's why. We have so much to get through because they mean something to me. This is my Super Bowl. I love the Oscars. We gave you picks. We gave you 11 picks. I did an entire ballot like I always do. I wasn't going to give you all 24 picks. I'm going to tell you how I did horribly. I want to talk about the show. I want to talk about the movies. I want to talk about the results. I want to talk about stuff that people are talking about and then talk about why people are talking about those things and then talk about my view of the people talking about what other people are actually talking about. And the talking starts now. One, let's talk about the overall show. It opened with Janelle Monet. She is an actress who is Monet. Janelle Monet. Sorry. She is a phenomenal actress and a singer. She was in Hidden Figures, among other. Moonlight, you may recall her as well. Oscar winner, best picture. She opened the show with a musical number that brought to mind how great Billy Crystal was when he hosted the Oscars and did musical numbers. The difference is, A, she wasn't the host. B, it wasn't very creative. C, she has a beautiful voice, but she used it as sort of a a way to sort of start the political conversations of the night. Of course, I wouldn't mind politics not being involved in my Oscars, but I knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when, and I didn't have the opening musical number as the winner in my box pool of when will politics be introduced at the Oscars. I had it by one of the first presenters. It turned out to be one of the first winners. Brad Pitt was the first big winner, and he did immediate impeachment conversation. So she's off the stage. There's no host. It's a hostless party. In come Steve Martin and Chris Rock. Chris Rock from the Facebook commercial with Sylvester Stallone, if you've never heard of him. Steve Martin, a phenomenal comedian who's now a big-time movie star if you've never heard of him. And if you haven't, go watch Parenthood, for starters. And then listen to the song called King Tut. Steve Martin, wild and crazy guy. It's like I'm speaking Spanish here. They come on stage, they start doing comedy. The only joke I'll tell you is what they said to Jeff Bezos. They were making fun of Jeff Bezos was in the room. He's the richest guy in the world. And they were talking about the fact that they that he's now buying all these movies and there's so much content. And Steve Martin said to him, I can't tell a bad joke about you because I don't want all of my packages to arrive a day late. 
He could have done way better. There's so much fodder for Jeff Bezos to have been in that room that Steve Martin, to me, missed an opportunity to go one step further. And I don't mean all about the craziness that's going on in his personal life. I'm talking about what he's doing on the business and on the movie side. But he didn't take it. The funny part about Chris Rock and Steve Martin is that they weren't hosts and they acknowledged the fact that they were basically demoted, that they're not hosts. They're now forced to just open the show and tell jokes. Fine. Move on. Let's get to some awards. First award, Brad Pitt. We had it. Best Supporting Actor. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, my prediction was correct. What Brad Pitt did then disappointed me. His acceptance speeches throughout the entire awards circuit have been phenomenal. The acceptance speech last night put the M in mediocre. He made a joke. I only have 45 seconds, which is more than Bolton got. I think Quentin Tarantino should write a movie about what's going on. It just wasn't funny. I'm not saying don't joke about the impeachment or joke about it. I'm just saying if you're going to be political, at least be funny. I miss the self-deprecating Brad. I wanted to talk about the fact that he was there with his mother or that he missed having Jennifer Aniston to gaze into her eyes after taking the Oscar off stage the way he did at the SAGs or the BAFTAs or the Golden Globes. It was just a dud. That was that for Brad Pitt. Done. Next. We had a couple musical numbers. Randy Newman. Don't want to talk about it. I'm too sad. He's too old. Elton John. I don't want to talk about it. It's too sad. He's too old. Did you notice Elton John had a screen in his piano giving him the words to the Oscar-winning song that he would later win that he wrote the music to and has sung? He actually had a prompter right in front of him. Many, many artists use prompters. We use, I don't use a prompter. My prompter in front of me is black. CBS spent all this great money on a prompter. There's nothing to put in it because I never know what I'm going to talk about. I mean, I've got an idea, but never really. Done. Elton John. Next. Kristen, is it Kristen Wig? Kirsten? Christine? There's an actress who is in Bridesmaid. Her last name is, is Wig. She went on stage with Maya Rudolph and they, Kristen Wig, and they did a bit where they were trying to be funny. And all I kept thinking was the words garlic bread. I'm watching Wig and I'm thinking garlic bread. Why? Because her dress looked like lasagna to me. I was literally watching her having like hunger pains thinking that I wanted to eat. She just wasn't funny. Second one, we then get to the obvious. Best Supporting Actress, Laura Dern. She thanks her father, Bruce Dern, and her mother, Diane Ladd. Bruce Dern, by the way, who has been in unbelievable movies back in the day, but was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as the owner of the ranch where the crazy hippies lived. Remember, Squeaky. He was taking a nap to watch the FBI show with Squeaky. That was Bruce Dern. We predicted it. She won. Animated feature. We predicted that easily. Done. Toy Story 4. Of course Toy Story 4 was going to win. Done. Documentary feature. My fault, guys. My fault. Someone should have told me the Obamas produced American Factory. Someone should have mentioned. Slam dunk. Honeyland was way better although I haven't seen American Factory, which I will see now. Honeyland, we lost. International feature. I really thought that Parasite was going to win Best Picture. I thought that this was the time, for the first time in history, that we would have a 
movie not in English with subtitles win Best Picture. The reason I thought it is that I told you all it's the only movie I watched this year that went into my top 100. I told you all it was going to win. I told you all ignore the one-inch subtitles. I wanted Pain and Glory to win the international feature because that would be a good gift to give Antonio Banderas and the director of that movie, Pedro Alamud Malamar. Got that name totally butchered. But they've worked together on multiple films over 40 years. Phenomenal movie, which I think I reviewed on this show. But it did not win. Parasite won. I should have known Parasite was going to then have a big night. We then got to screenplays. You can't have a movie without the writing. Original screenplay, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that was Quentin Tarantino's. That's what he wins. He doesn't win picture. He doesn't win director. That's what he's going to win. But it went to Bong Joon-ho for writing Parasite. Got it wrong. That's when I knew we had a problem. That's when I said, Sam, Sam, I don't think you're going to win Best Director. Adapted screenplay, Jojo Rabbit. Tune in tomorrow's nothing personal. No matter what happens in the world, I'm reviewing Jojo Rabbit tomorrow. I don't care what breaking news there is. I watched that movie twice this weekend. Jojo Rabbit won for Best Adapted Screenplay, which we knew it would. Actor and actress, let me give you the... uh, bottom line of Joaquin Phoenix and Renee Zellweger. They both won. Joaquin Phoenix took the stage, and if you didn't see his acceptance speech, all I can tell you is this. Don't put milk in your cereal, and don't put milk in your coffee. Anytime you feed your kids, anytime you feed your kids a glass of milk, you are killing a calf and a cow. That's the best I could get from his acceptance speech. And then he ended it with a beautiful poem written by his late brother, River. It ended great. It started horribly. Renee Zellweger went on for four minutes. They didn't play the music because you don't play it for Best Actress to get her off the stage. She was so all over the place. It's so late in the night that I was seeing double Renee Zellweger, which equaled one regular person. Director. 1917 got a bunch of technical awards, but I lost it. I had him winning Best Director. It went to Bong Joon-ho, who by this time was saying, I stop winning, I want to start drinking. He actually said, let me drink. And then Best Picture, a huge ovation. Parasite as one of the most memorable Best Picture winners in the 92-year history of the Academy Awards. I believe, my prediction, is that Parasite will go down as one of the best movies of all time. Not just of this year, not just of this decade, but all time. I am begging you one final time. If you have not seen the movie Parasite, please, it's worth it. For $3.99, you can rent it. It'll probably come back in theaters. The best part is, A, it'll broaden your horizons. You'll like international films. B, you won't even realize you're reading subtitles. C, you will have seen the best movie by far. Overall, the Oscar broadcast was about a a 7.3. I miss hosts. I wanted there to be more drama with the top four acting nominations, winners. We know through the circuit who's going to win, but the end was perfect. And Jane Fonda announcing Best Picture, mm, loved it. Okay, Uh, I got to do a pick of the day for you. And uh, I'm doing the pick of the day. I'm angry, actually, about the pick of the day. I didn't even get to talk about live animated short. I'm going to work that into tomorrow's show. I, I, it's too much Oscars. I didn't even get to talk about who is best dressed, worst dressed. I mentioned Kristen Wiig because of her lasagna, but there was a whole list. Of course, I'm looking at dresses and tuxes. 
I'm wondering what Timothy Chalamet was wearing. Still can't figure it out. Wondering what I have to do to look like Brad Pitt. I'm pretty sure there's no doctor in California who can make that happen. I mean, I don't have a pack. I don't know how to find six of them. Matthew Cherry won an Oscar. The same category Kobe did. I want to talk about what he did and why he did it, but I got to get to my pick of the day because I'm angry about that. I don't like losing. I don't ever like losing for you, for the audience who's so loyal to me. And being forced to pick an XFL game, I was forced to, I, I, I admit it, I was forced to choose a game where I couldn't name one player on the Dallas Renegades. I couldn't tell you whether a 10-point spread should have been 7 or 13. As it turns out, I think the Renegades should have gotten 10 points. We lost it. I had a fight with Coca. I don't think it should count toward my 2020 record, which now stands at 11, 12, and 1, because my original pick, which can't count, but it was on the original rundown with proof, because when you have a Google Doc, you can actually watch me delete and rewrite things. So there is proof that I had the Raptors over the Pacers. My record should be 12 and 11. Who's my pick? Yeah, I'm going back to the Raptors. I'm so upset about not having them Friday. I'm going back to them Monday. They can't lose. And they're only giving 10 points to that team with Carl Anthony Towns and that team that just traded for that other guy from the Warriors named D'Angelo Russell. That team where there's 10,000 lakes. They're terrible. Take the Raptors. Okay. Uh, Wait to see. While we're talking about the XFL, There was a lot of talk about ratings. There's been a lot of talk about the amount of money in the XFL, how long it can last. There was a lot of talk about the rules. A lot of the games went under. There's no way to really understand how to bet them because you can go for one, two, or three after a touchdown. We saw a punter down at the one. What a great great punt that was. But we know now the rules of punting. If it goes out of bounds, the team gets it at the spot. I mean, it's just some crazy rules. The ratings came out. Average audience was about 3 million people. The problem with that average audience is you'd say, hey, that's not a bad audience at all. Vince McMahon has to be happy with that. I think they're not happy because it's combined with the attendance, which was about 17,000. I believe they were budgeting and planning on between 25 and 30,000 to attend these opening games. They're playing in facilities that are way, way bigger, but in terms of their expectations, should have been in the 20s, and they drew in the teens. I'm assuming two things. Number one, that they didn't lie about attendance, which I would all the time. Number two, I'm assuming that if they did, they had to do what was reasonable and not announce 25 or 30 when maybe there were only 10 in each stadium. Then when the numbers come out of people watching, there is no getting around what your ratings are. There's no getting around the fact that 3 million people watched. The question is, what happens in week two? And the answer is very simple. In week two, the XFL ratings are going to go down. Fewer people will watch. Because what we had this week was a chance that you were going to watch. Because it was novel. It was new. You wanted to see it. There's a new circus in town. Let me see what the elephants look like. Next week, you're not thinking that anymore. Next week, you're just going to say, hey, I'm happy to go to the salon and color my hair blonde, blue, pink, and red instead of watching the NFL, XFL. Ratings will go down. By the way, Luca was not the first pick of the All-Star Draft. Anthony Davis was. I lost that way to see I was wrong. I will always admit when I'm wrong. 
I give you wait to sees every show. You've had 72 of them. Actually, only 71. Didn't do it one show. But I can assure you of one thing. I'm keeping track. Luca should have been the first pick. LeBron, you already have Anthony Davis. You got to start understanding. It's not a personal thing with Anthony Davis. Go for the player who you actually want to have on your team. Forget the sprained foot. We didn't get Luca. I did find out later that LeBron called Luca and said, "Hey, Luca, don't be upset. Don't be upset, Luca. It was business. Nothing personal." This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.